visit us at facebook.com slash securefreedom with Frank Gaffney. We're back, and we are joined by Michael Pack. He is a highly acclaimed documentary filmmaker with, among other credits, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, a really beautiful documentary tribute to uh, one of our most distinguished, I think, consequential Supreme Court justices. He was, until recently, the chief executive officer for the U.S. Agency for Global Media, and uh, he's authored an op-ed in the Washington Examiner about uh, some of his experiences in that role, and I'm very pleased to have a chance to catch up with him. It's entitled Beyond Bias. Michael Pack, welcome back to Secure Freedom Radio. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Frank. Good to be back with you. So this was a very poignant, uh, well, the French would call it, I think, cri de coeur in a way, um, an expression of deep frustration and uh, not a little anguish from what happened to you during your time, trying to essentially right the ship, I think it's fair to say, at uh, the Agency for Global Media. Uh, Talk a little bit about the operation that you inherited and what you were trying to do. And then we'll get into how you were buffeted, to put it mildly, by the media in uh, what it seems to me was really information warfare against you. Well, as you know, Frank, the U.S. Agency for Global Media is the parent organization of all of U.S. uh, international broadcasting. And it includes the five broadcasters, Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Cuba Broadcasting, Middle East Broadcasting Networks and Radio Free Asia, and they have a budget of about 850 million a year. They but and they reach an audience of 350 million people globally every week. They broadcast in 70 languages all over the world. I, I, they say that they're one of the biggest broadcast collectively. They're one of the biggest broadcasters in the world, and they're a powerful force. And they're intended to be a force promoting American ideas and institutions. Particularly important now when our ideas are under attack from China and our other adversaries around the world. And we found, I found when I got there after a long time, a long and bruising confirmation process, that they were very, three years and three months, you know, I think close to a record. Um, but, the, the, you know, the Democrats did not want me to take this over. They like to control the, when they, the media. Um, and, and these agencies are bound by law to be objective, comprehensive, balanced, reflect all views in the American political spectrum to promote American ideas and institutions. And they were simply not doing that. I mean, they were just like another government-funded CNN at best, and more like another international NPR. And why should the American people be paying for that? I mean, and so my goal, goal was to try to get them simply to fulfill the law, to make them live up to the law and do what they were required to do. And as soon as I started doing that, the attacks came. The media was only one aspect, but on the Hill, from Democrats and Republicans, these people had a whole network of nonprofit, you know, pro bono lawyers, and they kind of sued the agency, and and it went, and it was an endless battle. My piece in the Examiner focused on just the media component of that, but I think that is a very telling aspect of it. And I call it beyond bias because it's not right to call the media bias anymore. It is so much past that. As I say in the article, the bias was when the old days, Frank, when you and I were growing up, and you know, you, there were three television networks and a couple of big newspapers that were very influential, and they would present two sides of the story, but they would favor, they would have favor the, the side they agreed with. They would give them the best lines. They'd let them begin and end. But you, 
buried in the peace was the other side they didn't agree with. Now that other side has vanished, and it's simply advocacy. In the eight months I ran the USAGM... Out and out right advocacy. It, it, some people call it propaganda, maybe a better word. And in the eight months that I was running USAGM, there were over 40 pieces in the Washington Post. You know, incredible amount. And for somebody who is not a cabinet member... Including 40 pieces three, about you and your management of this agency. 40 pieces about me and what I, the horrible stuff I was doing at USAGM. And including three editorials and four op-eds you know they 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 they, they were it was so, they thought any attempt to sort of fix this was was just a huge injustice but in those 40 pieces they never interviewed anybody who agreed with me there was there was no way a a a, a reader could find understand why we did what we did only the people who attacked us so it was not biased it was simply pieces about that let's talk about some of the you know, dramatis personae, as they say, the, the people involved in, first of all, uh, your agency prior to your arrival, who migrated on or simply took advantage of relationships that uh, facilitated these sorts of attacks, uh, including by the Washington Post. Well, that's right. I mean, the, 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 two, pe- the two institutions that attacked us most were, were Washington Post and NPR. I mean, it, we were also attacked, of course, the New York Times, Politico, uh, CNN, etc. But the, the, the two big ones were the Post and NPR. And the person who, who I forced out as um, director of The Voice of America, Amanda Bennett, married to Don Graham, who used to own the Washington Post, and they still have connections to the Washington Post. And Amanda Bennett penned one of these op-eds attacking me and did not, of course, mention her connection to the Post. But but there it is. And the NPR connection is even closer. The, my predecessor, who was not Senate confirmed, but he was still had the CEO title, John Lansing, left USAGM to be president of NPR during the time when all these attacks occurred. And not only that, Frank, but we were investigating the flaws of these people's administration. It's not just that they happen to have this association. John Lansing, you know, why did the things that went awry went awry under these people's watch? And we were investigating things, including a massive security problem for which they are responsible. So they had every interest in shutting us down. Suppressing um, you, terminating you if they could. And and this contributed, of course, to that epic delay in your confirmation. And uh, I I just want to say, Michael, I, I... think it is a great testament to your character and your courage and your tenacity that you put up with uh, the three years and three months of uh, character assassination and you know slow rolling, including by Republicans who at the time were running the Senate. It's just a, a you know real indictment of what I think of as kind of the controlled opposition that they represent up there. But Michael, let me just ask you, because what you've really described here is kind of a microcosm of what happened to the Trump administration and President Trump most especially writ large. Um, and, and in a way, it, it's very helpful to have it be on a somewhat smaller scale because you can really see how the larger dynamic operated. What what you've really described here seems to me to be um, information operations in support of out-and-out political warfare. I think that is really so. I think my story is very much a microcosm. And, and you could tell in the other things that are beyond bias. I, I describe in the article that particularly David Folkenflik, but others too, we're willing to do things that I think run counter to, to at NPR, thank you, I, run counter to sort of standard, what used to be journalistic ethics. I mean, they're willing to print things they knew to be false, 
And then beyond that, he printed stuff about the personal lives of three or four of the people working for me, you know, sort of mid-level people or, or my little senior senior supporters to me, but there were people in their 30s. He would talk about messy divorces they had. He would talk about problems they had with their family. Uh, they would, doxing, I think, is sort of the generic yeah, term for that. It had nothing to do with international broadcasting. We begged him not to put them in, my communications team. He said, well, in public has a right to know. But what's the purpose of talking about, one of them had, his father took out a temporary restraining order on him. And so what is the point of putting that in a piece about international broadcasting? The only piece, the only purpose was to scare and terrorize these people. And it worked. They were in tears. Character assassination, this young man was in tears, couldn't work the next day, and he was fearful from then on. Fearful from then on, because he knew that whenever he applied for a job, people would Google his name, and up the stuff would come. They were afraid, and, he, and the purpose was to make them afraid. There was, there was just, it isn't even journalism. So, Michael, this saga and what befell you and your colleagues as you, again, tried to get this government agency to simply conform to its statutory mandate is uh, symptomatic of what is being done uh, under the guise of journalism writ large, uh, oftentimes, and, and most egregiously by entities like National Public Radio or NPR that has its own mandate for objectivity and gets government subsidies uh, because it is supposed to perform according to those standards and does not. Again, I, I listen to it uh, fairly regularly and am often astonished by the extent to which it is simply propounding a highly partisan narrative, uh, oftentimes simply as, uh, as fact or as uh, news. And it, uh, it is a real disservice to the American people that it does so. That is really true. As you know, Frank, I've spent my life really in public broadcasting. I've had, you know, I've spent decades producing documentaries, all broadcast nationally on PBS. I was a senior vice president of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And it's it's shocking and shameful that NPR has descended so low. I mean, and as you said, I mean, I, it's one thing to be attacked by the Washington Post, a private organization. But NPR gets public money. It has a similar legal requirement to the Voice of America. It has to present objective and balanced uh, reporting. And it simply is failing to do that. Should the American people support it? And in the case of NPR, it's not only the number amount of money. It's the they get to be national public radio. They, it, it gives them the seal of approval. Is that is it right? I mean... It's, it's, I agree with you that it is a disgrace. It, it reflects, to some extent, uh, the similar problem that you were addressing with uh, some of these other international broadcast outlets. Uh, in the name of balance, under the previous regime, uh, they were endlessly promoting outright propaganda from America's enemies. Uh, certainly not what those who, you know, established uh, the AGM or for that matter, the various organizations it oversees um, had in mind. No? Well, well, that is right. I mean, it, it, it is failing to fulfill its actually important mission of promoting American ideas and institutions. But point with NPR is that we are also not, not communicating those ideas to the sort of young people of today. We are not, more and more people grow up not understanding the principles of country was founded on in this own country, let alone abroad. Or actually loathing them, as the case may be, as part of the, uh, the sort of Maoist uh, 
critical race theory, as it's called, or, or racist indoctrination. Hey, Michael, before we lose all of our time with you, let me just ask you about a a sort of broader question. Um, You have been in this space for most of your professional life. You understand firsthand how important freedom of speech is. I, I just invite you to talk a little bit about what we're witnessing happening to our country uh, beyond, you know, what roles these various journalists or, or news outlets are playing, um, social media, among other things. And, and now uh, a sort of collusion with the government, or even in the, some cases with the Democratic National Committee, for heaven's sakes, to suppress freedom of speech, to suppress what people are able to get access to um, on the internet uh, in the name of, uh, you know, denying fake news or or false information, misinformation from being disseminated. Uh, Give us your sort of critical analysis of where we are and where we're headed. I have, I think it is a very, very serious, troubling threat to to our republic. I mean, the I, again, in a microcosm, I experienced a little of this myself. I, as you mentioned, my company produced Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, which was on PBS documentary about Justice Thomas, got great critical reviews, and it was streaming on Amazon until they knocked, you know, ceased streaming it early in February, Black History Month. They took it off the air. They canceled it. Instead of what you'd expect, they'd list it. You know, in the old days, right, they'd list five sort of critical race theory documentaries recommended for Black History Month, and one maybe on the, with a different point of view. Now nothing. And in fact, they took it off. And they, they claim it's just a, you know, it was just an algorithm thing, but they have never put it back on. And people have complained. There have been articles in the Wall Street Journal. Nineteen senators wrote to them about it. They don't need to put it back on. They can do whatever they want. The arrogance is amazing. And now, as you say, Frank, the latest twist, taking direction from the government, I, I, you know, is astounding. I mean, I, I, the idea that these people have this Section 230 protection, continue to have that, in spite of their doing more and more, not just acting as a publisher, but acting as a particularly irresponsible publisher is amazing. I, I think that we we uh, we need to, you know, we, but, but the thing I think about the media, just to make a concluding thought, is it's never going to go back to journalistic standards in the, in the old days. I think we have to deal with the fact that we are facing what I don't like to call it the mainstream media, left-wing media on one side, and then there's, if you want to call it conservative right-wing media on the other. And, there, and, and we need to just strip away from these, people, these institutions the idea that they are not simply partisan propagandists. You know, we have to not give them the credit and, and pretend that they're somehow um, still adhere to journalistic standards. And that goes for social media, too. Yes, it does. Identify their biases, hold them accountable for them, and discount what they're saying uh, as a result of uh, that bias. These are eminently sensible approaches. Uh, Michael Pack, thank you for all you've done, uh, both in the public sector and in your private capacity to advance uh, the freedom of information and to ensure that we all have access to it and or are uh, getting our money's worth when we pay for it uh, in terms of our foreign broadcasting. I know you'll keep up the good work with your documentary filmmaking at Manifold Productions, and um, I hope you'll come back to us again very soon. I hope the rest of you will do the same again on Monday, same time, same station. Until then, this is Frank Gaffney. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Secure Freedom Radio with Frank Gaffney.
This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Even before Joe Biden's alarming performance in a CNN town hall event on Wednesday, a recent poll found 56% of the American people believe he is not in charge. That percentage can only have grown further in its aftermath. If Mr. Biden isn't actually performing as our nation's chief executive, who is? Since the agenda being shoved down our throats in his name is so radical, we have an urgent need to know. Sadly, none of the obvious candidates inspire much confidence. Vice President Kamala Harris, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Domestic Policy Advisor Susan Rice, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, and even former President Barack Obama all have records of dishonesty, bad judgment, and or sheer incompetence. Our country is in deep trouble. We're entitled at the very least to learn who to hold accountable for running it into the ground. This is Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with a word about a truly great American patriot in urgent need. Rich Higgins served in the U.S. Army and as a key civilian Pentagon official and senior strategist on President Trump's National Security Council. After he left the NSC, Rich continued advising Mr. Trump and others about the threats we are facing from enemies, foreign and domestic. He chronicled his experiences over the past 20 years fighting for America First in a terrific memoir entitled The Memo. Now this courageous freedom fighter is gravely ill due to severe complications caused by the Chinese Communist Party virus. He urgently needs help to defray the enormous costs of successive surgeries and a prospective organ transplant. I urge you to join me in contributing to a GoFundMe campaign named Medical Help for Rich Higgins. That's Medical Help for Rich Higgins at GoFundMe.com. God bless you and Rich Higgins.